Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Well, the boys are back together. It's, we've had a few The boys are off. back in town! <laughs> we, uh, we, I'm we off the IR. On rest. That's true. I've been out for six weeks. I just looked at the recording. I've... Uh... <laughs> Tonight, there was some debate with the producers and the doctors about whether I I, I could, uh, could could make it. It was like, you know how players have the lingering hamstring injury? I had the lingering. Yeah. Is it, an, is, is it is it Anthony Simon's uh, ankle, his sprained ankle that he's been out for 15 <laughs> games with? I mean, there's a lot of rumors out there. I, I'm in no position to validate these rumors or, or really comment. But but you wanted to play. It's the organization. They wouldn't. The producers wouldn't let you on the show, right? Yeah, I wanted to play. That's why I'm here tonight. I I had to finally say no. I'm. Uh, it's my health. It's my future. My career. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Well, that's right. I'm glad you're healthy, G Love Ryan. You're here. I'm I'm surviving. So who's ready to talk some hoops? Let's do I'm it. Only eighty percent, by the way. But I'm I'm still good to go. You're you're basically Kawhi <laughs> Leonard at this point. Yes. <laughs> Well, I thought we'd start with the uh, the NCAA. Tur- no way, no. <laughs> Who wants to talk about that? Let's do it. Let's do the real stuff. I I did want to talk about the NCAA tournament and just compare how few minutes we all watched because I hope it was. Uh, I, I hope I lead. I'm the leader in the clubhouse. I think I might have watched all of six minutes. I watched Gonzaga, U- UCLA, turned it off after about five minutes, and then realized that it was a close game again. So I. Uh, I didn't have to put any forks in my eyeballs watching mid-range jumpers. <laughs> Darren Fox is carrying the torch for college basketball being the lesser sport. And uh, all is right with the world as April Madness is on the eve. Do you guys know, you know why I checked out early? Because uh, my buddy at work convinced me to get in a survivor pool. Ooh, oh, no. So, uh, I picked Virginia round one. <laughs> D, you and me both, man. You did? That yeah, passed. That yeah. pass, that pass. There's that was, 20 bucks down the drain. Never that reminded me of that reminded me of Brian Peterson and North Eugene, man. That was that was that was that was <laughs> terrible. And they oh, had a timeout too. It was horrible. Oh, Don't cross court basketball. It. Don't cross court it. Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of St. Mary's UConn. And so I think I actually watched negative minutes because my I lost some of my lifespan watching it. But uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. I will say college basketball. I did watch uh Louisville uh uh iowa in the women's women tournament. yes women's is great yeah caitlin clark Haley van lith uh lith uh cashmere's finest go bulldogs yeah they they um i think uh nate jones and was pointing i think they he was on a podcast recently pointing out that the in the kind of um image and likeness era that the like women's basketball is actually like doing even better relative to that and they're creating more stars now there's you know different reasons for that but yeah caitlin clark man i mean i know it's like obvious to everyone but like i mean like she looks she plays the most like steph of any player i've seen like it's like men or women like it's insane women ever like she is steph like like there's this girl this woman as he i think it's fud she she uh been hurt a lot but she was like a top player 
And I think she was considered kind of Steph-esque with her jumper. And she's she's great. She's hurt all the time. But Caitlin Clark's release is just, like, incredible. So excited to see her in the WNBA. Excited to watch the women's hoop. I blame Tara Vanderveer for not uh, playing Haley Joins at po- point guard. Um, led to the second round exit there. But, uh, you know, what does she know? She's only the greatest women's coach of all time, absent Gino. But, yes. It, the only Act- thing that Fox missed in his critique is the inability to handle the ball. Like that was the thing that I noticed. I know there's like the, it's bad shots. It's lack of athleticism. I think Fox said the bad coaching, um, but the, the the inability to just hold on to the ball and not the constant turnovers was uh, <laughs> when I was done. Well, the- I, I did see one comment on Fox's a response to Fox's comment was this is this is big words coming from a guy who shot 23% from three in college. Yeah. <laughs> he speaks That's the why truth, you don't though. go to college, especially the coaches. It's like, do you see Bayheim? Did you see Steve Bayheim Lovegren and his uh, the way he exited stage left from his career? This grumpy curmudgeon. It's just it was crazy to see him like talk down to a reporter asking what his situation was, if he'd be leaving or not. And he's like, it's up to the university. Um, and I actually retired last week and you guys didn't even understand what I said. And then you have Wilbon and Kornheiser just slurping at the, at the, uh, you know, at the big gulp of Bayheim. It's just like these guys, like they're the most power hungry. I mean, it's worse than football in a way. It's like the college football coaches are, you know, PE teachers, you know, but at the same level, they still have to like, do stuff like these college coaches just sit there for years and just like they just get worshipped. <laughs> the guy's just a, it's the guy's just a bear's a dick. I mean, there's no way around it. Like, and just for the record, my dad is not a grumpy curmudgeon. He just looks like Bayheim. You've made that association. I just want to be clear. Steve Lovegren is not a dick. I guess. Sorry, sorry, Steve. You're the man. You're the best. I will say, Ryan, oh, in defense of, of college basketball coats. When when uh, Saban came out and ridiculed Nate yes, for how he so handled great. it, that was great. I, I think I think Saban was looking around and saw that the Alabama men's basketball team was a number one seed, and he said, "These guys are on my corner. Get out of here." <laughs> he totally clowned the head coach, man. <laughs> like, there's no excuses just because you're in the wrong place, at the wrong time is not an excuse. Yeah, are, it's... is that what he said to Rugs, Henry Rugs? <laughs> <laughs> saying he's got some skeletons in his closet too. No, Saban has an issue. No, he was, oh, oh, he was, he was poo-pooing Nate Oates' is, uh, you know, admittedly um, pretty rough handling of the circumstances around uh, the the tragedy that happened with a couple of their players. It, it, but he was pointing right, right. to this thing where they had, you know, their their thirteenth fifth five star corner that is on their team happened to have some have an incident and they like put him up they suspended him immediately in the middle of the off season like are you kidding me man i mean wow you're really taking a stand there nick <laughs> nick is a uh he's a real stalwart so but uh alas we, we move on to to better things i mean what where do you guys want to start here? There's so much to digest. What is it the big three in the east? Is it the Ooh. is it the mix up of you know four, five, six through down to eleven? Is it the you know, is it the legacy of Luka Doncic that we need to navigate? Where, where do we want to start? <laughs> Let's not talk about how the Blazers are the most disappointing team in this uh, this <laughs> season. Let's not address that. <laughs> hey man, you gotta get busy living or get busy dying. 
Are you, so so where are you with the Blazers? I mean, is it is it is it pure disappointment at this point, or is it more recognizing you know what the, what you see in the mirror and and uh, if they get the fifth pick, I mean they're they're not going to win the rest of the season. Let's just let's just yeah. admit that where we're at, they're going to be thirty two and fifty, and they have a very good shot at being the, having the fifth best lottery odds to get Wimbanyama. I mean, is that that's got to be a win in some in some way? Yeah, we'll take that as the consolation. I mean, this was, uh, I mean, we actually got off to a good start, which I think would just sort of enhance the disappointment. Uh, and uh, Chauncey Billups, uh, I feel like uh, his, his he should be on the hotter seat than, than it is right now. I mean, I know some people are calling for his head, but uh, I want to bring back Stotts, actually. Hey, man, maybe we can get CJ back while we're at it. <laughs> yes, I'd like that, too. And it's all part of the master plan. Draft the fifth, get Wimbanyana. That's the way to maximize right. the rest of Lillard's career in Portland. Just get that once-in-20-year player to come to the team. Uh, I mean, I do think it's a, it's the smart play. It's definitely like the, you know, the Tessio play. He's the, you know, the two to, um, to drop down. I mean, I'm really fascinated to see how sort of who ends up um, – who find who found that sweet spot of competing during the year and then falling back into the lottery deep enough where you still have a good chance. Like, like you said, Michael, it sounds like, I guess it's Orlando and Portland for the fifth spot, but I guess the Utah's and other teams, like the Pacers aren't going to get down that far probably, but still really impressive to me that these teams are able to kind of like throttle back in like a, not as obvious a way <laughs> as 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 uh, Cronin, Joe Cronin had the Blazers do, where he just started like injuring. He just started gluing people left and right uh, to to make sure they lose all the games. <laughs> I'm just so impressed though. The Jazz had a great competitive year. They have like three dudes they can build upon, um, including Marketing and Kessler. But they're still going to have a good chance, you know, to go up in the lottery. Um, the Pacers as well, another smart team. The Blazers, I feel like Cronin's a smart GM. Uh, I do think Oklahoma City is really trying hard to be right in that sweet spot, but the fact that the map will get to the Mavericks are playing so badly that the, like the Thunder are trying to like like Presti is just wants them to do what the Jazz have done, but they're too good. Like he's too good at drafting, so it's like even with SGA out here and there, it's like Giddy and Williams and. Even Joe, like they're just going off left and right. So I, I, I was pretty confident they would drop down eventually, just because, you know, if it, just worth the chance at Wimby or even get one of the other guys. Then like the two through five range is, you know, really valuable for these teams. Um, but it looks like they might stick around. We'll see. It is funny that Mark Dagnall was quoted, I think, yesterday as saying that the plan tournament is not attractive enough goal for us to compromise on our process. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he he had to say that because Presti was giving him the evil eye. He's like, he's like, I don't want to come out and tell you what to do. I, you know, it's like, who ordered the code red? It's like you have to have t- plausible deniability, but wink, wink, nod, nod, like. Don't win. I mean, they had three guys go for 30 and they still lost to Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte's going around and just like cutting everyone off at the knees, uh, even without Lonzo or without uh Lamella. They're like they're the playing tournament killers right now. No, well, man. They, I mean, they sure are. And I think that's I mean, okay, so if we're looking at the playing tournament, what's the what's the most fun 
you know, yes, that, yes, that, that yes, Tuesday, like Thursday, back to back, you know, Wednesday, Friday, whatever it ends up being where the plan tournament happens. What's the most fun seven, eight and nine, 10 matchups. And then, and then the subsequent follow on for the eight seed uh, in this Western conference mishmash of, of teams. We yeah, want we Luca just, in, right? Yeah, he definitely want Luca and Kyrie in. And I think Oklahoma City's trying to let them in, but they're not taking it. It's also like New Orleans, like Presti's seeing like the Mavericks lose. New Orleans is doing all their weird stuff. Um, yeah, let's see. So, I mean, the funny part, though, is like it's no one's that far off from the, the fifth seed, right? Even the fourth seed. Um but I guess we're getting down to it the last five or six games. So I would say it was great to get the Mavericks in. Um, I don't know. I feel like Mavericks, Minnesota would be fun. Mavericks, Lakers would be fun. I mean, I'm not the way New Orleans is playing. I'm not too excited about them being in. Um, so I probably would have them drop out if I was looking for the best matchups. Um, but Zion walking through that door the week of the plan. I mean, is how excited is, would that be? Is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is that they're evaluating his return to action? I think yeah. next week. Man, they're evaluating my return to action. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If that'd be if awesome. Dallas, if Dallas can sneak past Oklahoma City, I would like what we have here. We'd have Dallas and New Orleans, and then Lakers, Minnesota. Actually, I think those would both be intriguing matchups. That's true, actually. And it would also be cool if Minnesota won that. We had Minnesota Memphis 2.0. Yeah. That would be. I mean, that, I will I will only quibble I have is I think the Thunder getting in is actually going to be really fun. I mean, they're they're a underrated like league pass team in terms of just all the different guys they have and all the different stuff that those guys can do. I mean, they're just so young that they still do dumb stuff all the time. But I mean, watching SGA operate watching Giddy the way he handles the ball and kind of moves the rock. And then, you know, Jalen Williams is just, he's kind of a revelation. I mean, he might be like the second or third best player on this entire draft. It's, it's wild to watch him kind of develop throughout the year. So he's people, amazing. He's people, sneaking his way into a first round fantasy draft pick. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say he's sneaking his way into the rookie of the year conversation, yeah. but who needs rookie of the year when you're a potential first round fantasy draft <laughs> prospect. That was uh, a hyperbole. That's Mid second rounder. Yeah, yeah, he's easy, easy tiger. You know, you kick it ahead of yourself. You know, but people, yeah, I mean, he's incredible. Is there anyone better at drafting than Sam Presti? I mean, if he actually gets these picks, I don't feel like many of these picks are actually going to be as good as as they hope. We'll see if the Clippers completely collapse over the next few years. It's definitely possible with all the aged injuries they have. But man, you give that guy a pick, man, he is going to give it his best shot every time, man. I mean, does, any, does anyone have a higher rate? Of, of hitting like lottery picks than that guy. I mean, Giddy, Giddy's incredible. Williams is incredible. I mean, they're, they're really, really good. I do wonder though, what year do you have to hit where the expectation is you no longer accumulate assets and you actually have to, I think it's next make year. A push. I mean, I think next year is going to happen. Is next year. Yeah. If they had home, if they, if they had Holmgren this year, they'd be like, they would be out of the plan. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, they, they don't have a big guy. They don't have anybody. So, um, Kenrich it, Williams is offended by that, and so is the other Jalen Williams. But well, we'll not, I won't quibble with that statement. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, that's fair. They, they have they have some guys, but I mean, they don't. You add Holmgren, that's like the missing piece for them. Yeah. It's just weird because they haven't like the, the odds have not gone their way. 
because there was the dra- the first draft was it the giddy draft where they were like they had a legit chance to have two top five picks and they ended up just with their own pick um i think the first year the rockets pick didn't the, the rockets tanked it's that they kept it um I don't know. It's just, they're so, I mean, yeah, people better watch out because they're coming, man. And, you know, I, I just don't, to your point, I don't know if Presti will like pivot and like he, like the first run they had, he didn't show to be as good at like making those kind of top off moves, you know, trading for Perkins, obviously letting hard and go was controversial, but he did he, I mean, like I think Nate Jones pointed out, I mean, he started with a Baca and got Paul George, and then got SGA and all the picks. I mean, he traded Ibaka for Oladipo and Sabonis, which, I mean, Oladipo got hurt. But before he got hurt, he was like, was he second team All-NBA, third team All-NBA one year? Yeah. And now yeah. Sabonis is going to be like third team All-NBA. It's like, I mean, for Ibaka. <laughs> and I love Serge Ibaka, and he contributed to a championship team within a year or two of that. But, yeah, it's... uh I mean, he's ever going to win a title because he he was he partook in uh, the heist. Yeah. I mean, he may argue he was only holding the coats for everyone as they were, as Bennett and McCullough, whatever his name was, were uh, stoning the, the Sonics, but he still was there, man. He's still responsible. Uh, Aubrey McClendon, man. R.I.P. R.I.P., man. But, and uh, R.I.P. to Willis Reed, by the way, too, because if, oh, if, yeah. if uh, when you talk about Zion maybe coming back, um, maybe he can be inspired by by uh, Willis's passing. Um, I I do think the the West playoffs, as we think about the plan, I mean, I think you know a few of these teams that could come out of this plan are they sure seem to be well situated to give even the one and the two seeds a bit of a run. I mean, oh I think yeah, that's, like, that's yeah. the crazy thing is one through eight. Once this gets settled, unless there's some, you know, unless the Pelicans sneak in and Zion doesn't show back up, right? Like they did last year or uh, which even, you know, they, they gave it a good, good shot last year. But, you know, I think, you know, if Minnesota LA, I mean, even to certain degrees, Dallas, Oklahoma city, I mean, all of these teams, can give Denver and Memphis a run. I mean, oh, you know. Denver, De- I feel like Denver's going to, I mean, it's going to be the reverse of Mount Matumbo. They're going to be the Sonics. I don't know if the <laughs> eight seed will topple them, you know, like who does it need to be there to really give them a run? But man, it is not. I know they bounced back and I got to give my guy, Jamal Murray, um, who I, uh, you know, tweeted out, then deleted the tweet calling him out for his terrible shooting. I was like, come on, man, 43 years old. I shouldn't be, be shouting down somebody, but man, he was struggling and he's played great. I mean, it's a make or miss league. I think Jamal Murray's a make or miss player. If he's shooting and making shots and they're tough shots, mostly for him, then um, they're definitely back on the right side. But I just feel like I am really low on them. Um, well, and and, and yeah. your, your problem with Murray is it seems like it's, it's not just that he, has these bad shooting rets is that there's a lot of times where uh, the Joker should be shooting instead of him, or at least everything running properly running through the Joker and not uh, Murray trying to do too much. Exactly. Yeah. I think it just takes away. And the thing is like Jokic keeps his usage so low relative to the other stars because he's always sharing the ball. And so he should just have it all the time. I mean, it would be like, it would be like Danny Ainge, like just like dribbling around and shooting step back pull-ups playing next to bird you know it all mikhail be making fun of him 
and they'd all be <laughs> laughing about how terrible he was. And, See, you I know. thought you were talking about his run with the Kings because I think that's what he had to do there, actually. That's true. That's true. <laughs> when they traded it for Pinkney and Klein, that was uh, <laughs> that was when Red, that's when they knew Red Arbach needed to go at that point. So <laughs> the best part about it, though, for Ainge is that he became a great GM because obviously he's an amazing athlete and smart dude, but he also, like, he's like too, like, they just made fun of him all the time. He was the whipping boy of that team. And so he's got a chip on his shoulder, like nobody's business. And then he also like Red Arbach traded him when they were still at the end of the dynasty, when they were pretty much done at that point, but it was still like, they still had a puncher's chance and they traded him. And so that's like his, his mantra is always trade the guy too early, not too late. You know, like I would have traded myself too, if I were red. Uh, But yeah, man, it's, it's just don't like, just feed the ball through him. And also the weird part is Porter is an incredibly efficient scorer too. Like he's much more efficient than um, Murray because he's a three dribble player. He's either going to shoot the three off the catch, a couple dribbles to a pull up or a step back three or go to the rim. And so that's efficiency if you're not like a Jokic or a you know Doncic or a ball dominator. And then the other guys all just run and cut and like shoot quickly or not. Murray, you know, Murray gums that up. But what do I know? But I think it's, those guys don't play defense, and I just I I have very, I think Michael, you're you're right. I mean, everyone's seen it, but it's like it could. I mean, you could literally have like all four lower seeds win, like that. That would not be surprising. <laughs> I mean, if we look at how it would go, if it goes chalk right now, and like it's Lakers, Nuggets, Phoenix, Clippers, Sac, Golden State, and Memphis, Minnesota. Like, I would not be surprised. I mean, I think in most of those games the favorite maybe except for golden state the favorite would be the highest like the higher seed but still like i could see all those teams losing like who knows what's gonna happen it's gonna be great it, it does feel like memphis is would be considered the front runner right now and i feel like phoenix is is the wild card that they they at least have maybe the the guns to make a run but are you saying it's I mean, it's wide open is what yeah I it's really on. like i definitely down on nuggets so i'd say by you know, process of elimination, I agree. But I think Memphis, we've seen it so many times that they just don't have, they don't have enough offense when things get, like, they can't run. And so, um, I mean, Jaron Jackson's been great. They really haven't had Jackson, Morant, and Bain together at all this season. So maybe that solves it. Um, but, you know, it's like... I, it's like it's just not a great sign for your offense if it's like Steven Adams is out. Man, their offense is nothing without him. Like, <laughs> that's not a good sign that your offense. That's the crazy thing, right? I mean, Adams' offensive rebounding is what makes their offense a, a plus half court offense. No, I mean, true. It, that it's, and it's, he, and his dribble handoffs. I mean, they need his dribble handoffs to like, like do stuff. That's just not. That's not a good sign. Um, and, and then, I think you hit the okay. nail on the head there. I mean, I think that the Memphis piece to me, when I hear that they're the front runner, I'm like, well, they, 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 they ain't front running by much because that team, when it gets gummed up in the playoffs, like, I mean, in some ways that Warriors series was like the perfect tale of the Memphis Grizzlies last year is that, you know, the, the Warriors are so prone to live ball turnovers. It gave Memphis life in a lot of different ways. And simultaneously because of, the Warriors' defensive capabilities in the half court, they just put, put the screws in, and at a certain point, Memphis couldn't keep up. I mean, that 
that's the the thing they're going to continually find in the playoffs. And that's why, I mean, this, you know, obviously I think you're right that, that, you know, the higher seeds are going to be the favorites, but it's so matchup dependent, right? If, if Memphis ends up facing the Lakers, right. You're going to have, they're going to have an uphill battle and simultaneously if Denver faces the Mavs, for instance, and they're putting Jokic in the pick and roll with Doncic, you know, every time, you know, those games might be 150 to 151, but you know, it, it's, they're going to put them in the torture chamber. Right. I mean, I think these things are going to be really fascinating to see how they play out because, you know, again, Memphis with their, their, their inability to score efficiently in the half court, uh, it just, it really concerns me. I mean, I think Phoenix with KD coming back, presumably sort of working that out. I mean, he's been talked about as the most malleable superstar ever. And I think it's so true. You know, he, he's going to step right into just doing his Durant thing. And he provides the defensive kind of backline help that uh, they can often need to go a bit smaller. And they, uh, and all of a sudden Phoenix, you know, has that capability. So to me, they're certainly the, the leader in the clubhouse, despite the, you know, continuity issues, um, so it'll be interesting to see if that can coalesce here over the last five or six games as they head into presumably this four or five series. I mean, people have been saying it and, you know, if it's Bill Simmons or whatever, but like until I actually watched them when Durant came back tonight and watched part of that game, like the, their roster is short, man. It is. There's not a lot. Like there was a point where, you know, Durant was coming back and kind of shaking off the cobwebs or getting back in the swing of things. And it was him. <laughs> The lineup was him. It was like a bench lineup, which I know like our guy Monty loves playing his bench lineups, but it's like it was Durant, Tory Craig, Bismack Biombo, Campaign, and Terrence Ross. It's like oh, that. Boy. Oh, wow. Boy. Wow. You know, that is not that there. It's like I think it was like I'm waiting for Durant's postgame comments to talk about his, his supporting cast like he did with the uh, with the Nets, man, when Kyrie was out. What do you expect me to do? I mean, Cam Thomas would be uh be killing it with that lineup. Um, so I just I I um I don't really understand like what I don't really understand how they're gonna make like they're gonna really just ride or die with the big four. And I guess Akogi does some stuff for them, but um I don't know. I mean guys are guys are in the bio market for a reason. Like there's just not that many guys that like it's always everyone talks about it. But I think if you look at the history, right? I mean, it's PJ Brown, right? Was one of the last guys who really was a playoff major playoff contributor <laughs> for a team that that got bought out like 15 years ago. So I just don't um like Terrence Ross, I love the guy. Go go Jeff and go dogs, but it's it's just I don't really see how they if they have enough. I don't know. I mean, I think it is just like you said, Michael, matchup dependent and they can get going so much, but I think someone pointed out, like, is, is Durant their best defender? Like, it's just like, it's not, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe Aiden, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's just not a great place to be um, with your, like, you know, franchise player coming off an injury who's in his, you know, early 30s and or mid 30s now and can't, like, and he has to be like a defender for you. It's just, that's not a good, good thing. So, um, I don't know, man. I think everyone has their Achilles heel. We'll see what happens. Well, and that's, I, I want to go to Memphis for a sec, because I do think, you know, I think the Phoenix point you're talking about in the matchups is so 
is so clear. Styles make fights. Styles make fights, Michael. It does. I mean, right. right? If Phoenix gets make or miss league, styles make fights. Come on. (laughs) It's exactly what it is. I mean, if Phoenix gets to play the Clippers, who don't really have like a traditional pick and roll ball dominator, and then they get to play the Nuggets, who again don't have a traditional pick and roll ball handler in the sense that like you're really going to get get smoked. I mean, Phoenix is going to cruise to the conference finals. If they run into like, if they run into like the Warriors, they're going to have some serious issues. I mean, I think that's the fascinating thing with this is, is, you know, the, the way everybody has their own Achilles heel, like you said, you know, it depends who they run into, right? Yeah. And some of these teams have the sort of apex predator wings that are going to play kind of one-on-one versus, you know, the guys who are going to go spread, pick and roll and kind of attack you downhill. I mean, it's what's going to make a really fun sort of, set of playoffs as the rounds progress to see kind of who prevails in these first rounds versus the second round versus the conference finals. You know, again, I think that's, that's, what's going to be really fascinating. And it's, it's actually what I've like, I, the golden state warriors have boggled my mind much of the season, but even recently, I, I, I continually am like confused about why they lose some of these games. And sometimes they show up with all the firepower and, and I, I've yeah, settled on games. the conclusion that they just want to be the six seed. That's all they want to do. <laughs> is they want to be the 60 they want to play the kings and they want to avoid the suns until the conference finals and i'm like yeah. oh this makes perfect sense this is like they they're, they're trying to you know light years right they're they're going to squeeze through in the tightest race you know they're 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 a loss or two away from like being out of the play-in and meanwhile they're trying to manage their win-loss record to just stay slotted right in that six seed would there well, be so- a, a better matchup though uh first round phoenix versus warriors Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, that that's I mean, obviously playing the Suns with all of their star power is terrifying. But simultaneously, I don't think the Warriors are exactly a great matchup for Phoenix either. I mean, that's like that 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 feels like that's going to give them challenges in their own way. That's assuming Steve Kerr actually lets uh, Steph cook, man, because (laughs) it's. I, I gotta, I, I gotta say, like being local in the Bay, man. Listening to all the prognosticators and the uh, and the and the fans calling the sports talk radio, man, like just complaining about the turnovers. Like, oh, they don't take care of the ball. Even our guy Stan Van, he's he's <laughs> like, I can't believe that pass he made. Guys, Steph is is plays off the ball. Like that's his job is to pass the ball up the court so that he can play off the ball and run around in circles so everyone else can have space to work in. Like it's not a standard point guard team. He could be a point guard. He could be the best point guard in the league, but he's not because that's not how Steve Kerr wants to play. So they're going to pass a lot and they're going to have more turnovers because of it. And it's not because, oh, if they just focus more, if they were focusing more, they'd be like the other teams, like the analytical teams that just have the point guard control the ball and everyone complains how ugly it is, et cetera, et cetera. Like this goes, it's part of the game. It'd be like criticizing Barcelona for like, you know, tick-a-tock, whatever it was called and, and passing the ball back and forth in soccer and be like, Oh my gosh, like, look at that. Like there's, you can counter attack against it. Well, yeah, that's the, like, but the point is you control possession and you move it down and it's a beautiful game. So that's the way you play and you want to win playing beautiful. Like you're going to have some like turnovers and that's exactly what's happening here. So I just, I just, it's a pet peeve of mine. I brought up many times in the podcast, but I just, I'm just kind of like, guys, like they're not like Steve Kerr is telling them to play this way. That is why there's all these turnovers. It's because they're supposed to pass to each other. <laughs> so I, I agree with what you're saying. I will say after game seven, 2016, when Curry had the very costly behind the back turnover, that was just one of the worst uh, passes in 
in a crucial moment that I've seen, I thought he would at least sort of try to cut back on the unnecessary fancy passes. I mean, that's why Coach Harris wouldn't watch NBA basketball because it's just a little unnecessary to try to put a little extra. He's just he's the last one watching college basketball. Put that way. Touche, yes. Oh man, no, that's a good point. I mean, I hear you, but it's just they're playing a specific way. Yeah, and if they could easily play, I think if they played Phoenix and they were just like. Okay, we're gonna just put Steph a pick and roll and 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 let him cook. Then, um, then they would be a big challenge for them. But if they 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 kind of let, if they don't take advantage of that. Then they just kind of let them off. Obviously, it works very effectively for them. And Kerr has been right much more than he's been wrong with how he's approached things. I is wonder that, though, is that the you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater analogy? Then you, you yeah, the system. Of- yeah, this is the business we've chosen or something. I don't know. But I think, do you think Sacramento then in this environment, um, in terms of a matchup environment, like does that give them a better chance than it would typically give a team that's like in the 20s in terms of defensive efficiency? Because I, I hear you actually that Golden State is trying to get the sixth seed because, you know, they can't win on the road. And so Sacramento is the closest thing to an away home game. You can have if you're, you know, they don't have to travel. It's going to be great for them uh, if they could win it. But Darren Fox is someone who can cause a lot of problems for, you know, perimeter defensive, uh, you know, deficient perimeter, perimeter defense, deficient teams. Um, like Phoenix, like the Warriors, who are really struggling with that. So how do you guys, where are you guys at with the Kings, if they can cause any damage in the uh, postseason? Well, I think for the Kings, I'm getting very strong vibes of that Knicks-Tibbs team from two years ago, where they lost in the 4-5 matchup against the Hawks. The year the Hawks went to the conference finals. Just because, you know, De'Aaron Fox is a player who's had a wonderful season. And he's obviously taken a leap in a, in a unique way, but and he's obviously he, brilliant and astute and a prophet <laughs> for his his uh, views on college basketball. But continue, yes, continue. But it, he he's still a player who has those warts. Like largely his 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 actual sort of shooting metrics, his you know uh, overall offensive metrics. I mean, they're much higher this year because of the volume, because of the pace, because of how much he's on the ball. He still has a lot of those challenges in terms of shooting that, you know, again, I think when you get into a seven game series where you are scouting guys in a much more intense way where the defense really ratchets up. I mean, I'm just concerned with that team's composition and their ability to a defend, but B continue to get baskets in the half court in a way that's as efficient as they've been able to score in the regular season. I mean, they just, they're the perfect concoction of this regular season team. I mean, they're at, you know, they're scoring 121 points per hundred possessions. I mean, they, it's like the greatest off regular season offense of all time. And that's a pretty high bar over the last decade, but I have major concerns with them in a playoff series when, you know, again, all the spotlights on, all, you know, all the deficiencies and, you know, you start daring guys to do the things they're not good at and, and understand kind of seeing how that translates for a team of that ilk, especially a team like themselves that if you can really focus on some of the offensive elements to get them to not be quite as efficient offensively, their defense is just such is a sieve. I mean, they're just their inability to defend and get stops. I'm concerned about, you know, if they're going to say, let's do a track meet, I'll race to 135. I mean, I just don't think that's going to translate well. And you've seen it. And they're, they're, they've had a number of games against some of the top tier East Con- Eastern Conference teams recently. And they just they couldn't handle the track meet because, you know, again, the, the, the defensive 
liabilities are so substantial there. So I'm not buying the Kings. Unfortunately, they're really fun to watch. I hope I'm wrong in a lot of ways. You're buying the Warriors. You're buying the Warriors. It would be, yeah. I mean, I, I just can't quit them in a lot of ways. I just, I, whenever I see them, you know, be peak of their power, it doesn't seem like there's any reason for them that they don't, they can't be there. I mean, obviously Wiggins not being there puts a real dent in their ability to go all the way. Uh, But you know, it seems like they can still make a lot of noise in the, in the, in the conference finals kind of to that extent. Uh, before we go too far in the, into the warriors, I, I do have a hot take on the Kings. Hit it, hit us, give it to us. If the Kings falter, falter in the playoffs, it will not be because of Fox or Sabonis. It will be Herder, Barnes and Murray somehow let them down. Mm. <laughs> Definitely Barnes, man. Five for 32, baby. <laughs> <laughs> games five six and seven back in 2016 people still remember it here they're, they're still bitter about losing that chip that chip man even though it got him durant um yeah i mean they really do rely they rely on the shooting um and if those guys aren't hitting shots then then they're gonna be um be in, be troubled by that i don't know just speaking of the warriors though it i mean yeah, it's just it's a tough situation with Wiggins. It's like, do you think he comes back for the playoffs? Like, is 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 that? I mean, obviously, we don't know the story of what's going on, and don't need to know. But it's just if he, I mean, if he comes back for the playoffs, does that mean the playoffs are actually more important than the regular season? Or I, I don't know. Um, I, I just they really do need him, and if they did get him back, you know, and it's it, I mean, the good part is Kerr's been forced to play Kaminga more, and he's shown more support for him. Um, I really like the Kaminga Draymond lineups. Um, the times you know I see them, but yeah, I'll be interested to see what they do. Going back to Memphis for a sec, what do you guys make of the fact that like now on going on like two and a half full seasons that they their record has largely been unaffected on whether John Morant plays or not? <laughs> like, like are we evaluating Jaw appropriately as sort no. of? Ja, as as one of those guys that matters, like, like he, Jaw sucks at defense. He's terrible at defense. Well, and I think that's so true. And and he obviously is a is a very dynamic offensive player, but he also can't really shoot, right? So he has that liability. And so when I see a team with the depth that Memphis has continually perform sort of at or around the performance they have when they have their you know admittedly star player. It kind of it makes me wonder, like, are we evaluating this guy sort of properly, right? Like, there's, there's, you know, obviously the personal lives maybe have some corollaries too, but that's not really where I'm going. Like, it reminds me sort of like if if Allen Iverson had been on the Sixers and they didn't have like Eric Snow and a bunch of you know random guys that just handed him the ball, but if they had like a more balanced sort of depth of roster, mm. you you kind of wonder like at this high usage, low efficiency player ultimately even though they're fun to watch even though they're really exciting they, they they represent some of the best parts of basketball that do they really contribute to winning in a way that's that's transformational that's that's really differentiation right when i it, you know it occurred to me when I, there's been a lot of conversation about the all nba guards and there's a lot of i think you know folks that there's a lot of players that 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 have had great years and uh, there's been some pushback on like Dame Lillard potentially making the all NBA team playing only 58 games. They're not in the, 
you know, they're, they're, they have the fifth worst record in the league now because they've basically shut it down, you know, and, and compared to like kind of writing in jaw as a guy on that list. And it just, I was like, it just feels to me that, that, that jaw and Dame are in like different stratospheres in terms of like how their performances contribute to, uh, to winning and, and, and default someone like Damian Lillard, because he had to play with Neil O'Shea as his GM for seven years versus, you know, John Morant getting to play in an ecosystem that, you know, if, probably is the second best drafting team in the NBA after the, the Thunder, you know, are, are we evaluating John, his performance appropriately is, and, and, and I don't, I, I can't get around on him being, you know, he's obviously very good, but I can't get around him being on, on one of the, on the list of the guys that matter. Right. Like I think the think of the, the league that way. And he just, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to make the cut for me. And I'm curious where you guys are with jaw as, as he kind of enters this playoffs. Now he's back in the starting lineup. He's back sort of in the rotation doing to you kind of back to normal, all things considered. Yeah, those are, those are good points. I, I feel like I'm not quite ready to write him off yet. I feel like he kind of, in a way, put them on the map. And he's still so dynamic, electric offensively. I feel like I could still envision him having some big games where he, he takes over a game. Um, so, yeah, those numbers are, uh, you got to wrestle with those uh, if they're doing just as well without him for a consistent period of time. Because I guess it hasn't just been a, a small sample size now, um, but I do agree he's not in the in the Lillard level certainly. Um, but I, I I think it is one of one of the more intriguing subplots uh, to, uh, and I think we'll probably have a maybe after this playoff run we'll we'll have a better answer to that question. Yeah, I th- I I thought Michael when you started you were going to focus on the defense, but you're actually making an offensive argument for him maybe in addition to the defense, but you're basically, I hear you're saying is that, Hey, he, his offensive efficiency is not great relative to his reputation and re, re, respect to, in, in kind of relative to his usage and kind of how he's looked at in the league. And he's not like, cause probably cause he can't, like you said, he can't shoot. Um, it's kind of interesting to think about someone who like, if they had Lillard on this team, <laughs> you know, instead of, jaw, it would be there. They would be insane. Like they'd be much better, <laughs> which is like kind of my my perspective, because again, John Rand does not play defense. He does not like, like I was just looking at tonight, like Westbrook went off for like 36 tonight and he was hunting to not watch the game, but just looking at some of the like feedback from the game. He was hunting John Morant. <laughs> so it's Lillard like, has been hunted a few times himself. I just have to say as well. <laughs> no, 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 no. I agree. But Lillard's like in his early thirties and has, has injury. I mean, John has injury history, but he's like, his, he's like the most athletic guy in the league and he's what? 23. Like that's the thing yeah. about Ja that no one really it's like he's the best part of the league, but he like he was getting hunted last year in the playoffs. Like they were going after him. And I know it's the way the league works now, but the guy who's like that athletic, the most athletic guy in the league practically, is getting hunted. Like that's there's something off with that. Like that's not like I mean, maybe I'm just like I'm biased and I just feel like it's more understandable to hunt Luca or um Jokic and because of their lack of athletic ability relative to job but it's just it is it is not a good good look and I think um and, but I so that's where I where I'm at with it it's like I think he like fine hunt load all you want but you, the other part of it is you're getting incredibly efficient offensive player and I think that's where um that's where some of this stuff even with the Jokic debates it's like it's 
when when you have a high efficiency player, it just is like it's kind of like the Durant, like oh, he's the superstar that can play with anybody. It's like you just drop him in and he makes things better offensively because it's like they only do efficient things. Like John Rand does not do efficient things. He's an inefficient offensive player. He's still great. He's still like a great offensive player, but he's not going to do efficient things. And I think that's that's the issue is they don't they don't have. Like it's like Bain and Jackson are their more efficient offensive players, and all their big guys are just kind of like dunk and stuff. But it's it's Morant isn't that way, so you're not going to get like in a way he's the guy who can make those plays against the set defense that you need. But the overall offense is going to be less efficient with him being a part of it. And so in some ways, it's like this weird thing where could it be that like having Luke Kennard be ball dominant? relative like kind of take over some of his possessions for John is actually better for the offense I don't I mean I want to dig into the numbers more and see it um and all the on and off but I've always been more down on jaw than most people um I feel like just because again like to be 22 23 get hunted in the playoffs with another guy in the league and not be like like John Moran should be one of the best defensive guards in the league and he's not close He's not Trey Young. He's not like he's not Doncic. He doesn't have these like discrepancies athletically or size wise that gets in the way. So I've never fully gotten that. Um, but I, I really, Michael, you're making me think a lot here just because you're focusing on the offensive side of things and not his inefficiency there. So I guess he's just kind of a high usage guy. Um, like you said, Iverson, he's like more, he's just kind of thought of a certain way. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And it's kind of like, can they really, like, is the problem with the offense actually jaw? Like, is it not like, oh, they need more creators and they need more guys around him and their offense just gets souped up because he has to have a supporting cast? Or is that just the way jaw plays? <laughs> no, I think you're onto something there. I mean, I think that is like, I mean, I mean, it's important to caveat all of this that like scoring baskets, like hard, challenging, complicated baskets is a valuable skill like that. I mean, it's the thing that Kyrie has sort of hung his hat on, right? Get into your bag X, Y and Z, like doing those things in the but right Kyrie can context. shoot, but Kyrie can shoot. Sure, I mean, as a holistic offensive player, but I'm just yeah, saying, like, I hear you like like making you know, hand in your face, end of the shot clock, hey, the defense is set loading up. And being able to still go score despite that is right. a really important skill. So, so I think that's something that Jaw can do. The problem is, is does he rely on that capability so much that there's not any flow? Like, could he use a little Steve Kerr in his life to sort of pass and get it back, move the rock, kind of get kind of play more of the beautiful game where he still has some of those straight line drives but he doesn't have to go 12 for 28, right? He doesn't have to with nine free throws and he goes for 35, but simultaneously, you know, they're scoring under one point per possession or something like that. Right. I mean, I think that's a, that's, that's part of the interesting dynamic that I think the Grizzlies have to figure out going forward all. And I think I'm talking about it holistically too, for jaw. I mean, the defensive liability, I mean, he is slight, right? I mean, he's like 6'3", 175 pounds. So he's not like he's like the biggest guy, but we've seen Steph Curry, you know, be, be, be hunted some, but largely has been able to figure out how to hold his own and play defense in such a way that maybe he's not a plus, but he's certainly not a, a, a huge minus. And Lillard, 
to a lesser degree is a similar guy. I mean, you know, the fact that he got to play next to CJ McCollum, who was like, you know, chief among them in terms of being hunted, uh, you know, probably let Dame off the hook a, a decent bit uh, that CJ was hunted as much as he was, but you know, they both try and they both play defense in like very smart ways. And it seems like Jaw doesn't really do either of those things defensively. So, you know, you, you look back to that, that warrior series, right. You know, jaw tweaks the knee on the Jordan pool dive. He misses those next couple games. Right. I mean, th- that next game, I mean, I, I want to say the score was in the nineties and they just, and they, but they like, absolutely suffocated the warriors because they had five guys you could defend. They were all kind of moving on, on a string. They were, they were all trying really hard. And then maybe they didn't have the dynamic creation element that, that jaw brings to the table on offense, but you, you know, you have Jackson posting up Draymond, you have Bain running around shooting threes. I mean, you have some of these guys doing things offensively that, you know, they have less opportunity to do when there's a guy in the mid thirties in the usage rate that's sort of dominating the ball, dominating the possessions and in relatively inefficient ways. So I just think it's a fascinating complexion for them to consider as they look to this playoffs, but even look to a a larger team building element, right? I mean, there's so much culture building that Jod did. He does seem to be, you know, you know, just, you know, recent indiscretions uh, aside, a, a, a fairly, you know, important culture setter and, and leader on that team, and so it'll be curious to see how that all shakes out because again, you know, you have you have a lot of pieces there and a lot of supporting pieces, and and having the big three ish around Morant, Bain, and and the Triple J is going to be really important for them to figure out how that's going to look going forward because you know the the that roster is going to get really expensive really fast. I mean, Dylan Brooks, you know has all of his warts in a lot of ways, maybe Dylan Brooks's offensive inefficiency probably draws away from the fact that yes, yes. has something similar. Yes. But you know, I think, you know, Dylan Brooks and John Morant were both two for nine from three tonight. Right. I mean, it's just, when you have guys taking that volume of threes that inefficiently, you know, and they have the track record of doing such, you know, you're not going to win a lot of basketball games when it matters. So let's say it's like, it's like soccer. And you can do the uh, loan or like rental, basically, where you get a player for like uh, the rest of the year and then they have to go back to them. So let's say like Portland, let's say both guys are fully healthy back. If if Portland said, hey, like you could have you could have Lillard is on a loan for the rest of the regular season, the playoffs, and it just means you can't have Morant play. Now, beyond all the cultural things, if you were just like, I want to win a championship this year would would you do that would you take lillard and drop jaw yeah i mean i would be in a heartbeat go ahead yeah i mean i think it's a heartbeat i mean cultural things aside right i mean there's some like hey he's mr i realize he's mr culture he's mr blazer i still think drexler is the best blazer of all time whoa 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 whoa. and aside yeah drexler still has the mantle he's on the dream team man you guys respectfully i still go Derek walton but Oh, you guys are both aging yourself. I'm sorry. Guy won us a championship that never ages. <laughs> so listeners got. of the pods are like, these guys are definitely in their mid forties to mid fifties. So they, they'd it... be off. They'd be off by a few years, but they're close. <laughs> what's the, what's the high fidelity question? Would you rather have like a long career or just have one great uh, career and then fade away? I think uh, one great year. So I think, I think you're with Jack Black on that one. d Um, 
I would do that trade in a minute. I would take Lillard in a heartbeat over Joe. And I'm not the biggest like Lillard. I'm not as big into Lillard as maybe some. I've been so impressed. This year he's been incredible, even more than normal in some ways. You know, it's an incredible year. But I just feel like that's what the Memphis needs. They just need a dude who can like score and be the fulcrum. Um, you know, Bane coming off of it. You can hide, you can hide, hide him on defense. They have to hide Jaw. It's just it's just weird. Like you, I wouldn't have expected to say that, but it's just I'm not saying John Morant's like Jamal Murray, but I it's like I do. So like you were moving that direction. <laughs> I don't want to be like I don't want to take the efficiency thing to like a whole different. Obviously, I love Jokic, um, but even guys like you see and B, you see Giannis. These guys play. They score. I mean, we're just talking about offense, they score in such efficient ways. It just makes their whole offense better. And if you have someone who's not doing that. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, you look back. I mean, Jaws never played more than 63 games in a year. I guess we had that. That probably was, I guess, the pandemic year. So, um, excuse me. So maybe he would have played more that year, uh, but in healthy. But it's it's not like, um, it's just interesting. Like his reputation, maybe it's like Iverson. Or even a little like bit Lamar like. Lamar Jackson right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like if you play, I'm going to quibble. Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the NFL. I don't, no, I mean, no, I know, but I'm just saying everybody's questioning his durability right now and his style of play is a sustainable. I mean, it's the hot, it's the hot topic right sure, now. So sure. It has some relevance. Yeah. I mean, I think that is, I mean, I think that's just the curious, the discourse around John Morant, you know, and again, all the off the court stuff aside, like his basketball play, he seems to be, kind of perceived in a certain echelon that it doesn't necessarily seem like the shoe fits um, quite yet. Obviously he's fun. He's, he's, he's a blast to watch. I mean, the way he, the things he brings to the, the court are, are again, some of the best parts of basketball, but simultaneously, you know, just it, it, in terms of their, you know, trajectory into the playoffs and into the future, it just, it gives me, you know, you kind of wonder if they're just good enough to get you beat to a certain degree, you know, that that their construction right now, you know, they're they're like the, you know, the the B minus big three. Right. It's like, they, you know, not enough. <laughs> I mean, it's, I just wonder, like, it, it, it's so fast. I mean, these playoffs will be really telling. Right. I mean, maybe they just rip off a bunch and lock down on defense and, you know, jaw does jaw things and they're in the conference finals, you know, or. You know, did the warts sort of resurface, you know, when they play, you know, if they play the Lakers, for instance, I mean, I think there's like a lot that it'll be a pretty interesting matchup because of some of the abilities. I mean, the Lakers have really, you know, defended well in this recent stretch with this kind of new roster construction and you couple it with LeBron coming back and, you know, AD sort of being his peak self, you know, they're, they could give, you know, Memphis a lot of trouble in that way. Um, now if they face, you know, some of these other teams, maybe a little less. So I think, you know, Memphis translates a bit better to some of these other rosters, but, um, it'll be fascinating to see how it shakes out as, as you kind of come down the stretch here. Hey guys, can I do a quick, uh, summary of the Eastern conference? Yes. The, the bucks are going to win. <laughs> <laughs> we just haven't touched on it. I thought I should just, uh, sum it all up. <laughs> The Bucks are going to win the whole thing, man. <laughs> I, know. I know. That's the fun. The, the funniest thing for me about the this all this Western Conference, you know, drama is, you know, 
I probably I respect the Sixers quite a bit less than maybe the 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 status sort of expectation is. So I don't maybe I don't group the Sixers in in the echelon that that the Bucks definitely are and Boston's probably closer to. Uh, but man, the, those three teams collectively, you know, the fact that Milwaukee was able to angle into the one seed and and at this point has it pretty wrapped up, yeah, you know, is an absolute hack to their ability to get to the to the conference finals and the finals i mean the the fact that they don't have to play one of those other two teams in the second round and that boston and the Sixers are going to have a, just a bloodbath is is such an advantage for them or as as they or, come down the stretch or boston will smoke philly in the second round and then it'll be it'll be game on the conference finals well, it, uh, it seems like boston they i mean they, all of their issues are kind of surfacing right now a lot of questions about the coach they have their present issues and then it just feels like the 76ers have the historical baggage of uh can we can we rely on doc rivers and harden uh in, in a big playoff series so and the and answer Embiid, like, and, no. and, and, and and Embiid too. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's a you lot. question Embiid's Embiid's playoff performance. I mean, largely he's performed well. I mean, he's got yeah. you know he broke his face, so that's obviously no. He was know. great against Toronto, but I'm just saying yeah. he hasn't taken his team to the conference finals yet. I mean, you can you can definitely do the, you know, you can do the same thing for him that you people like myself do for Jokic sometimes. But Jokic actually has gone to a conference finals before. So has Luca. Um, so we'll see. But I, I, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I, the, the Boston thing is so fascinating though, because it's like, we're surprised. Like, I, it's like, we just kind of like, I know for myself, I just kind of turn to the next thing. And I don't really take a step back. And it's like, Yudoka gave them their identity on defense. Like he gave them the defensive identity, him and, and, and Robert Williams, obviously and Robert Williams has been hurt. Um, by the way, people need to stop giving him a hard time. I get so frustrated hearing Bill Simmons like rag on Rob Williams. Like the guy came back too fast from a major knee surgery. Like, or maybe it was not a major surgery, but it was one that Michael, you called it like a year, a year ago. And it was like, this is the knee surgery that like is treated like a bunch of different ways. And some guys like Wiseman or miss a year. And some guys like Jaron Jackson miss like four or five months. And some guys like Williams come back in like a month <laughs> or mm. six weeks. And it's like his career would never be the same because of that. Like that's what happened. Um, but it's like Yudoka, um, Yudoka gave them that mentality. I mean, he was just pissed off at them all the time and um, <laughs> just always mad. And obviously he's got lost all the stuff that he's done and gone through. I mean, it's rough stuff. And I think, um, you know, the, bad choices and everything that's gone on the extent we know but he really did do that and it's like the one lesson from all of this is do not if if you're picking a leader like if you're like the board of a company um and you have to fire your ceo or you're like you know the athletic director at like a college you have to have to, have to replace your coach um because they left a different school like Basically, whoever your players are supporting, whoever your employees are supporting, pick the opposite person because run, run. not trust them at all. <laughs> like I, I may have told this before, but I, when I was my first job out of really my first real job was like interning at this company. And there was a guy there I worked with who actually played basketball at Portland State in Portland State. Like they actually done pretty well. They just started their programming after many years back in the late 90s and their coach left, Richie McKay left. 
and to go to a different school, like Colorado State or something, got a better job. And so I remember like sitting there with this other intern and he was like, like on, he was like working the phones with his teammates to try and get their assistant coach to become the coach, like the head coach. And they were successful, like this, like kind of inexperienced assistant became the head coach. And I think part of it was all the players are coming back and we could be good and we really wanted to do this. And it's like the guy lasted like two and a half years. And I don't think he ever really coached again. It's like the players want guys who are easy on them, you know, and they like, and they like hanging out with, it's like Aaron Rodgers' obsession with Nathaniel Hackett. It's like, these guys are not, they're not good coaches. They don't, they're not great coaches. They're just like, get along well with the stars. And I think that's what happened in Boston, like Tatum and all these guys. I mean, I think Stevens, he was a Steve, he was a Stevens assistant. So that's the biggest reason, but it's just, if the guys like him, do not like, they didn't like Yudoka, like get someone that they don't like, <laughs> like you don't, you don't need to be buddies. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Boston, but I think they have, you know, they, I think they have an advantage over Philly and um, so we'll and see. They might be going after kid next year. Sorry. But, oh man <laughs> no it's you know speaking of uh, they are who we thought they were manzanita the uh it is it's funny you you call that out ryan because i think that is you even see this in 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 you know like lebron playing gm a little bit some of these other guys who sort of ha- have have a say in personnel decisions i mean these guys i mean it's not just nba players i think it is you're right that it's sort of a it's often a judge of like you know folks with these misaligned incentives right Right. evaluating the wrong things and and you see it happen all the time i mean it's just you know you're not you know they're not incentivized to want i mean it's a a unique duck who's who's going to operate outside of his incentive structure for the good of the the organization of the team level five leader level five leaders you can't find many of them though i mean it was so it was it was so poignant like I, i watched this this snippet of drew timmy Right. You know, in his in year 17 at Gonzaga. Right. He's like reflecting on his time there. Actually, only year four, which was shocking to me. I, th- I thought it was like year six. It was actually his fourth year. He's not even taking his COVID year. He didn't red shirt. It's crazy. I know he's I mean, I love it. His quote when he came back was, well, I think I can make more money here than playing professional basketball. I'm like, well, you're <laughs> excited about your own prospects. Um, <laughs> But he, he was basically reflecting on his relationship with Mark Few. And a lot of these, you know, again, college basketball coaches have their foibles. Um, but he's basically saying, like, you know, Mark Few is like one of the most important men in my life. He's really formed me over my four years here. He sure is kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. But, you know, it, it, he, I know he really cares about me. And I, and I just think, like, you know, Drew Timmy, given his druthers, probably wouldn't be selecting Mark Few to be his head coach. You know, if, he, if it was in a in an open candidacy, it'd be like the athletic manager, that guy who gets me my, rebounds my jump shots. I want him to be our coach. We don't have to do wind sprints. You know, yeah. we don't have Brian Michelson. I want Brian Michelson to be the coach. Exactly. I mean, I, I just think you know, none of these guys are incentivized. You know, outside of their own kind of you know mental models. So it is a it, it, that's a great point, and it'd be curious to see. You know, again, I mean, they have such. A, a dynamic core right with this group of young guys you know and they have a lot of experience in the playoffs but you're right i mean they have a lot of warts here in the last 30 games particularly and it'll be curious to see you know how it's a bit of a do or die playoffs for them in a lot of ways i mean i think there is you know you have the coaching situation 
right? You have Jalen Brown. There's murmurings there about some of his sort of perspective on things. You know, there, there's if they don't really make a deep run, right? I mean, it's it's a couple of these teams are are in very high stakes situations. I mean, the Sixers included. You know, if they don't get out of the second round, you know, the loser of that series presumably is going to have some major changes as a result, and it's it, it, they're walking the tightrope. Do you think, uh, I mean, is Brad Stevens just too nice of a guy to just, uh, you know, just call it and come in and take over Boston? You know, I mean, that would be the, the best play for them, wouldn't it? Call well, Pat not. Riley. Well, I don't know if he can pull a Riles because, number one, like, he, it, it's not like he got him over the hump when he was actually coaching them. So it's not like he can flash the rings on the table right. and, and come back He's in. in conference. And they also just not want to, like, he doesn't want to give him his lifestyle, man. He gets to hang out with his kids have breakfast every morning. Like, he, can only, he goes on the road, probably goes to some, like, NCAA tournament games or goes to Europe, goes to, like, you know, um, you know, see some high school kids play. Like he's got a better lifestyle. I, I, I just, um, yeah, I, I think it's true. I, I, I like the, um, the Timmy point because if you, if you really dig in, it's, it's pretty simple. But if you dig into the kind of the data and it's like, and see how ch- like kids succeed and what separates the kids who succeed don't succeed. Um, it like it's a complicated question. And then it's really simple, which is that kind of like a quarterback who like has to learn all these offenses, defenses, and then Tom Brady just knows to pitch and catch it. And it's just like playing, you know, on the sandlot. It's like having an adult, at least one adult, hopefully more that gives a shit about you is basically like, <laughs> and, and we'll, and, and we'll get not only get a shit about you, but we'll get on your ass and Mark few you to get you to be better and, and do the hard things in life like go to school and do your homework and do all the shit you don't want to do. That is, that's it, honestly. And like everything else we're trying to do is like to, to fill that void. And that that's like, and and this is not even just like a father, mother, grandparent. Like this is like friends, the children's it's like, like, it could be anyone, but it's like, that's what's different. And it's like that. And that kid is not going to like that person. The kid doesn't want to do it. The adult doesn't want to do it. It's not fun, but that's how societies and civilizations like, survive and hopefully thrive and it's like you know um so yes i i totally i agree with you timmy i wish him well in his uh professional career yeah you're gonna reference duncan campbell there yeah exactly (laughs) i mean that's literally like like and i don't know why they haven't expanded it i think part of it is like that program's grown but like they've shown that it's like if you identify kids who are at higher risk like, because a lot of times they don't have resources. They don't have, you know, family members that have like high paying jobs. You don't have all the things that you need to like a lot of kids take for granted to help them succeed. It's like, you give them like in third grade, you give them a friend, a mentor. That's even more than a mentor. They spend like 10 hours a week with them every week until they're like a high school senior and they graduate and it's, it's proactive and you spend all this money up front, the super expensive program, but then it pays off because those kids succeed so much higher because of that. So it is, it's true. I just think it's hard to replace, you know, family community. I mean, those things have been destroyed for, by lots of different reasons. You think about legacy of racism and slavery in our country. You think about all the things that have happened, choices that have made has undercut people in so many ways, but it's like, you know, it's cool. Like, I mean, like Josiah's team won a big game on Sunday and their coach was like, 
like he gave him this big speech afterwards about how he didn't have sons and they were he had daughters and these were his sons they're all his sons and they all because they were down 10 at halftime they beat a good team they were just like and then he like it was so cool because he gave this speech it was a really great speech he's a very like like he's a good great coach he's a heartfelt guy he's a great guy and then he like he talked about like this is what you do you overcome things this is what you do to be a young man you look back at this time all the different things coaches say and then he was so worked up by it he like he gave the cheer and then he walked off like crying <laughs> and the other coach oh, was like tending to him like coach lj man he yeah, was like nice. he was great and it's just like man that's what we're talking about like you know get in there and he was like super intense through the game and it's just that's what sports that's what sports offers people men and women and i think it's really uh it's cool to see and i i think it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out um and the NBA season the rest of the year. Indeed, indeed. Well, it'll be a fun run down the stretch, and uh, we'll be back for more here next week. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time, but until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit. Spirit.